Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk presented by JAG Physical Therapy. Thank you so very much for your company. After a disastrous loss to Villanova, a performance that Shaheen Holloway promised you will never see again in his time as head coach, Seton Hall has won two straight, has improved its NCAA tournament bid chances, and with a strong finish, has the opportunity to get a first-round bye in the Big East tournament. Now, that might be a bit of a long shot, but hey, that's why you play the games. My guest on Pirates Talk is Dana O'Neill, a senior writer for The Athletic who has worked as a sports writer for more than three decades. She previously worked at ESPN and the Philadelphia Daily News and has authored three books, including The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History. It's an entertaining and informative look at the formation of the Big East, its expansion into football, and the return to its basketball roots with wonderful stories from the many notable characters who have made the Big East what it is now. If you haven't read it, I'd suggest you pick up a copy today. It will be well worth your time. Earlier this week, I had the privilege of speaking with Dana about Seton Hall, the Big East, the Big Dance, NIL, the Portal, and so much more. And you'll hear that interview after this message from our sponsor, JAG Physical Therapy. JAG Physical Therapy, providing rehabilitative recovery from sports and soft tissue injuries to knee, foot, ankle, hip, shoulder, elbow, and back injuries. Schedule your appointment with JAG Physical Therapy today and meet their experienced team of physical therapists, occupational therapists, athletic trainers, and exercise physiologists invested in your full recovery. Get back the life you love at JAG Physical Therapy, the most awarded physical therapy provider in New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. Recently named to the 2022 Inc. 5000 list. For physical therapy, occupational therapy, and athletic training services, go to jagpt.com. Dana O'Neill, thank you very much for giving me some of your time. This is a busy period of your season. How are things going? Uh, yeah, it's all good. You know, it's the kind of the calm before the storm a little bit. Um, you know, I'm going to get going here at the end of the month for a couple of trips, and then March will fly by and I will wake up and there will be a national champion at some point very soon, it feels like. Uh, you know, when it starts way back in the fall, you're wondering how it, how we're going to get there and what's going to unfold as we get there. Yeah. And now it is just around the corner. And as always, there are many interesting storylines. Going to get your thoughts on the national scene in a little bit, but mostly we'll focus on the Big East and on sure. Seton Hall. So how good is the Big East this year? I mean, I think it's Really good. Obviously, at the top, it's super heavy because thank you, UConn, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's no team better in the country, period, right now. So that makes everybody better. I think it's kind of like back in the day when, when Dave Gavitt used to talk about the league elevating, you know, everyone's play. I think that's exactly what's happening in the Big East. You, you know, UConn's obviously very good. Marquette's very good. Creighton's very good. And then you go into that middle and you start saying, do you really want to be a team that has to play Seton Hall or Villanova or Butler or Providence? You just don't know. Even St. John's. I mean, I know everything fell apart last the other night and Rick Pitino lost his mind a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> on a good day, there's still not a team that you want to play. So it's kind of like, you know, top to bottom. I know the bottom is pretty bottom, but it's pretty darn good. You know, I'm trying and I agree with you. I'm just trying to figure out what those middle teams, if you will, yeah. are really like, because they knock each other off. It's not easy right. in any conference to win on the road. It's not easy in the Big East to do so. So I'm just trying to figure out how good the middle is. Are they upper half good, if you will, or they're kind of just middle good? And and we, we won't know till the tournament. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it is kind of difficult because obviously right now everyone is just sort of beating each other up within the conference. It's kind of like you look around, every conference is having the same situation. You look at the Big Ten, same things going on, SEC, et cetera. But, you know, I, I tend to believe, like I know not everybody believes in metrics and all of those things, but I look at things like Ken Palm and I look at where he's got, you know, teams in the league. And, and look, he's got the Big East ranked as the second best conference in the country. And I think that's legitimate. So if you operate from that theory that the team, that the league is the second best in the conference, then I think the people in the middle, the teams in the middle are a little bit better than the middles elsewhere. Um, and, you know, I've seen, I've seen what Seton Hall has done in the non-conference. I've seen, you know, how Xavier has been or Providence has been, I've, you know, Providence obviously down a great player that changes things, but I do think there's some legitimacy to the middle of that league. Is there a team or maybe two teams that you're looking at, uh, aside from the ones at the top, everyone's focusing on, on the Yukons yeah. and the Marquettes, et cetera, and create uh, personally, uh, yeah, Yukons in, in, uh, an area all by its own, yeah, they're but, by themselves. but Creighton, I, I know they're third Seton Hall's tied with them right now in the conference. I think no one's really sleeping on them, but uh, I think if they can get their stuff together, there's, they can beat mm -hmm. you in so many ways. I, I think they're going to be very dangerous, but at any rate, it's about your thoughts. What, who is there a team or two as we make our way down the stretch in the big East and get ready for the tournament, uh, less than a month from now that you say, Hey, watch out. Let's see what they do as they prepare for the tournament. Yeah, I you know if you're I think so. I mean, look, yeah, I agree with you about Creighton for sure. I think people were kind of in love with Creighton for a while, and then they kind of forgot about them a little bit. And you know, part of that is the gigantic shadow that UConn is casting <laughs> over <laughs> the entire league, right? So that's just sort of mess everybody. But I do look at like I look at Seton Hall, I look at even Villanova as messy as they've been. These are teams that if they kind of figure it out in a consistent manner, the talent is there. The ability is there. And I think it's one of those things that they get rolling downhill. What can that look like? Um, I know there's no, like, especially with Villanova, there's no reason necessarily to say, Hey, consistency. They have not been consistent, right? They've just been sort of, like I said, all over the map a little bit, but player for player, you start looking about, you know, what they've got on the court and if they can start shooting the ball with some consistency, what they can do. And then the same with Seton Hall. Like, look, you, it's, again, hard to pin down. Are they the team that got blown out by Villanova or are they the team that got, uh, that they blew out, that blew out Xavier or are they the team that came back from 18 down to beat St. John's? Who are they? Um, I tend to think that they are more the team that came back against St. John's and, and beat Xavier than they are the team that just played like garbage against Villanova. I think that again, because of the talent on the roster, because of how hard they play and how Shaheen has them playing so hard. I think if they get things rolling in the right direction, that could get really hard. Yeah. He said, as you know, after they beat Xavier, he was still reflecting on the loss to Villanova. And before he got yes. too deep into his post-game news conference, he said, you know, People, you know me, you know me. I'm just going to say this now. We are never going to lose a game like that again while I'm a head coach. He said, we may lose and a team may beat yeah. us by 20 because they're just that much better, but we will never have that kind of performance again. That game is uh, is still bothering him and, and might push him and his team farther along. Like, don't let that happen again. Yeah, and sometimes, look, I, I know people say this sounds, it sounds kind of trite and everything like that, but, you know, teams that, look, we're dealing with players that are 18 to 22. I don't care how much money they're making or what they're doing. That's who they are at the end of the day, right? And so, 
you know, you kind of get lost a little bit. February, I think, is hard. I really do. You are looking at teams that have been playing since November. They're tired. They've been, you know, it's it's a grind. And you get into this part of the season. And coaches will tell teams all the time, do not take your eye off the prize. Do not think that, you know, you've got it all figured out. But they they don't they don't know what they don't know. And so they drop the ball, they lose their focus, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what in the world just happened to us? And trust me, Shaheen is not going to let them forget it every day for the rest of eternity. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree with him. I think that that was probably something that, you know, that they will never forget because he won't let them. But maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it reminds them, like, we can't be that team. And look, they were in danger there against St. John's of being that team again, but they figured it out. And that's the difference. And that's what a veteran team can do. And Correct. they haven't all played with each other through four years in that era has quickly <laughs> gone off the yeah. college basketball scene. We know that, but they are experienced. I, I think 10th oldest team mm -hmm. in, in, in college basketball among the, 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 the top division one teams. And so, and he keeps harping on, and this was in the beginning more, but, but I guess he could even say it about yesterday's game against St. John's, which is this is it for you guys. Like, what yeah. are you missing about the opportunity that is right. here? They, during the course of the year, they seem to have gotten that message. But then you see a game like yesterday start and you go like, really? Like, don't mm -hmm. you guys get it? This is your last kick at the can. Yeah. And I think there is something to that. He's right. I mean, I think lost in the, in the conversation about the transfer portal, um, you know, it's an opportunity for players and all of those things to elevate on different teams and come together and all of those things. But that messaging probably really isn't delivered as loudly as it should be. Like odds are, if you have transferred somewhere, it, it didn't work out elsewhere, or you've tried to elevate yourself to a higher level. Well, here your, here's your chance. We gave it to you. Now, what do you want to do with it? Um, and I think that's a really smart message for Shaheen to deliver. I think it's a really smart message, frankly, for more coaches to deliver because as everyone wants to complain about what the portal is at the end of the day, it's an opportunity. And so it's up to players to grab it because you're right. It's, it's not coming back. I mean, you, you only get four years anyway, to begin with. And now if you're a transfer, this is kind of your, your shiny moment, if you will. So what do you want to do with it? And not every coach is necessarily spinning that message probably as best as they could. You did an article for The Athletic recently where you spent time with UConn and, and Danny Hurley and, <laughs> and watched their practice. And and that issue about what you want, uh, you know, uh, yeah. the some of their transfers, hey, uh, oh, and the, the name escapes me now. Forgive me, it shouldn't. But uh, the kid who came from Carolina, he said, I, I needed to be pushed. I knew that. And, yes. and I was going to be pushed here. So, the, you know, we make it look like it's this evil development in college sports. And, and I know there needs to be some regulation. It is the wild, wild west in some ways. But it gives players a chance to find where they want to be. You know, I, I say my kids are now past the college age. But I think back to when they were deciding what to do. At that time, as 17-year-olds, they didn't know what they were doing Saturday. Nope. Nope. And then we wanted them to pick a college, pick a career, find the best college that would put you on the path for a career. It's crazy. And it's the same thing for basketball players. They see the bright, shiny light. They think this is it. And then they get there and maybe it's not. So with some maturity, they can find a path mm -hmm. to success too. Absolutely. And, and yeah, and you were talking about Tristan Newton. I mean, yes, that's it. Sorry. Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he is part and parcel. You know, here's a player who was not recruited at all out of high school for various reasons, ends up at East Carolina, does pretty well, 
Joe Dooley gets fired. He wants to find a place to go. And, and he goes all the way up to Yukon, which is, you know, it's a pretty high jump from East Carolina. And Dan is no picnic. Um, but he wanted that. And he saw that if I get pushed by that kind of coach, I will reach the level of play that I think I am capable of reaching. And so, yeah, there has to be sort of an understanding from both sides. Like, hey, you wanted this, right? You wanted to be pushed. You wanted to be challenged. Here's your challenge. Now, what are you going to do with it? So the teams that have figured it out, and I do think, you know, I think I think coaches that are picky about the portal who choose to not necessarily start from scratch. And look, Rick Pitino, for a thousand reasons, started from scratch. But I think when you get that many players who were just new to you, it, it's it's impossible. You need You need a couple. You need maybe two, three. I don't know what the magic number is, but anything you start getting sideways with a lot of guys who are just coming in once it, it doesn't, it can't work. It, it's kind of just, it's foolish. I think to me, the portal is going to be just like one and done was. I remember when Kentucky won the national championship with Anthony Davis and everyone's like, Oh, one and done. That's the way you do it. That's how you win national champions. Well, no, no, that's when you have Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with the portal. No, no, you can't win with all portal players. You can win with a couple, but you can't win with all. There is no all or nothing in college basketball, and time proves over and over and over again, continuity and maturity is what wins national championships. It's not that complicated. And as you said, you got to find the players that fit you in the system, and they've they've got yep. to find a system that fits them. And and that message was uh, repeated by Shaka Smart and Steve Masiello, who was acting in an interim head coach capacity, Rick had uh, COVID the first time mm-hmm. Seton Hall played St. John's, but they both said Shaw's got players that reflect his personality. That's him yeah. out there. And that personality is get right in your face, dig down deep and, and play some hard defense. And I, I think of it that he and Danny Hurley are not that different, are they, in terms of their demands, different levels of programs at this point. I get that. But in terms of how they are on the sideline, their compete level, I think there's some similarities there. I don't know if you agree or not. No, I do. I think they come at it from probably a little different method, right? I mean, Shaka is kind of that player's coach. You know, he's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been to his practices. He gets in people's faces. He's all over people, but he's kind of fun and, you know, whatever. Not that Dan's not, but Dan has that sort of reputation, at least of being his dad and being kind of more hard-nosed about it. But I think they both, want the same thing. Like I was watching the game the other night and I said, if Tyler Kolick was in a Yukon uniform, Dan Hurley would love him because he is everything that he wants a player to be right. They have the same sort of makeup of a team. They have guys who play hard, who do not back down from a fight, who want to defend, who have a little bit of, I don't know, arrogance about them. Um, yeah, they're they're not at all different um, in, in that regard. They just kind of maybe come at it at least publicly or perception wise from a different method. Yeah, for sure. And 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 I'm sorry, I was really talking about Shaheen Holloway. I got Shah Shaka okay. in there. And no, your your comparison of the two uh, coaches whose teams are at the top of the Big East right now, sitting one and two, very good. But Shaheen Holloway is as, comp- as competitive because oh, I would yeah. love to see him and Danny Hurley go out at one and one even today. I would love yeah, to see a one-on-one think, battle. I think Shaheen would beat him because I think he was a better player than <laughs> But I, but yeah, there'd be Seton totally Hall blood agree. being drawn everywhere. Right. Yeah. No, and and you're right. And they don't they don't they don't accept less. Right. I mean, or they're they're gonna demand. They're not. If you don't like it, don't come here. Um. You know, it's just obviously Shaheen is trying to get the caliber of, of athlete perhaps that Dan has already achieved. But it's the same. It's the same drill. Like I am going to coach you really hard. You may not love me all the time, 
but eventually you will appreciate me and you will like me and you'll be better for it. And I also think that, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote about that with Shaheen, like when they win and when the way, when they goes well, it's because they're playing like him. That's when, that's when Seton Hall is at its best. When they look like Shaheen Holloway out there, when they are just don't, you know, they're just taking no nonsense. They're, they're grinding, their heads are down and they're going. And it, that's when they are at their best. And I think that that mentality is there just sometimes, you know, it, again, they're 18 to 22. It loses mm-hmm. its focus sometimes. It it does. Does, does UConn have an Achilles heel as you see it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm asking because I don't see it. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I have struggled to see it myself um, because they've got depth. They've got great guards. They can shoot. They've got bigs. You know, um, I guess, you know, theoretically, you could say if Klingon gets in foul trouble, but Samson Johnson has come in pretty darn well and been pretty good as a backup. But obviously, you know, if, you, if Klingon gets in foul trouble, how they play changes dramatically. Mm. Um, I would argue, you know, I, I think they shoot the ball pretty well. I, I, it's hard to find it. It's just, you know, look, I, I think um, the Achilles heel is the reality of the NCAA tournament. It's winning six games in a row is super hard. And there's a reason that nobody has done it back to back in 17 years. Cause it's just stinking hard. Um, the odds just generally don't favor you just because of the reality of it. So that's not really their fault, but that is sort of the makeup of the tournament. Um, you know, so, but it's hard to see an Achilles heel right now. And I will tell you, having been around Dan, like he would tell you that this team is as good as last year's, if not in some capacity better, which it's scary. Yeah, that 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 is high praise indeed. A, a yeah. few a few more uh, as we share time with uh, Dana O'Neill on this edition of Pirates Talk. The bottom two teams, DePaul and Georgetown. Uh, what 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 what's Val Ackerman doing to kind of push them? Uh, certainly, Georgetown. You know, a blue blood that has fallen on incredibly hard times over the last mm-hmm. ten years or so. Uh, what what's the Big East thought on those two? You gotta, you gotta be better than what you've been. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, Georgetown went out and hired a really good coach, right? Mm -hmm. They have done what needs to be done in terms of that. Um, I think, you know, I don't think Ed Cooley was foolish. I don't think he thought that this team this year, it's just impossible and not the way he plays and not the way he coaches. I mean, he gets transfers. He got, he was the portal before the portal was a thing. So he'll go out and get players, but it, it, it takes a little time. It's, you know, he cannot snap his fingers and have Georgetown fixed overnight. Um, and now DePaul's in the same boat. DePaul has had a history of just not hiring the right guy um, <laughs> for just, I don't know, for a thousand different reasons. They have not gone out and found a coach that has a level of energy commitment and passion to turn that thing around. I don't know who that is personally right now. I know that, you know, there's going to be some names bandied about. It's a really hard job. Um, for a million reasons, but also then again, it's, it's also Chicago. It shouldn't be as hard as it's been, but I think who Dwayne Peavy hires for this position is going to be seriously, seriously critical to DePaul's future success. And, you know, I'm not sure that it's the job that you go out and you hand to some coach who's kind of coming down from a fall, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think you need somebody who wants to work their tails off and is super hungry to prove themselves. I agree. And, and, and Seton Hall is in a way that kind of institution, they're, they're better and they're better 
situated, yeah. but you have to know what Seton Hall's about. Small campus, South Orange, no facility yeah. on campus, all that sort of stuff. You have to get the right guy. You can't get somebody that comes in and goes, oh, here's my resume. You're going to come and play for me. No, no, it's 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 get down into the bushes, work hard. And, and DePaul will have to hopefully find that guy. I'm old enough to remember when uh, Ray Meyer Sr. was coaching well, sure. that team into, into national prominence and uh, – and then his son did well uh, following him for a bit, but it's been a long time, man. It's been a long it's time. It's been a long time. Yeah. And yeah, and it has and it has to be somebody who has their eyes wide open. You're right. I mean, Shaheen will be the first to, to tell you all the warts that Seton Hall has. And and he's also wise enough to know that they're not going to go away. So complaining about them isn't going to change them. So live with them and figure out your, your workarounds. And I think that's what it's got to be at DePaul. It's got to be somebody who isn't trying to come in and say, I'm going to change all of this. Now, some of it is what it is. So how are you going to deal with it and work around it? Absolutely. Um, we, we talked a little bit about Portal. What about NIL? What, what's your thought of, about that? Will there be some sort of oversight? It, it's so new. Look, we're, we're adults. We know that payments have occurred Right. It, it wasn't Lily. <laughs> yes, pure white so, yes. amateur sports. Right. We were, we were eyes wide open, but it has become so in your face. And I don't know that there's more there's not if there's more rumor than facts about who's getting paid what and all that sort of stuff. What has to happen there? Well, I think that's part of the problem. I do think there needs to be some 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 transparency with it, because right now you're hearing numbers thrown around and they are thrown around by the agent who has cut the deal. And they're thrown around by the kid who has signed the deal. And they're thrown about the coach who got the kid to come for the deal. How true is all that? I don't know. But everybody who's sending the numbers out has, has an ulterior motive, right, to show how great the numbers are. So I think we need to see the reality of the deals up front. I just think that transparency will allow everyone to, to know what's really going on. Like, is so-and-so actually getting $400,000? And what does that contract look like? Look, we need to know that. So I think that will help things. I'm also a big believer in all of these things tend to work themselves out. Right now, money is being thrown around like candy. And eventually, people who are smart business, Mark Few said this to me once, and he's exactly right. Smart businessmen aren't smart businessmen because they make repeated bad decisions and bad investments. Um, you know, you go out and you invest in a player with some NIL money, and it doesn't work out. You're not going to make that same mistake again. So eventually, in my opinion, there will be NIL opportunities for multiple players and athletes, and that's totally fine. But the big numbers, as these things tend to be, will go to the best players. And the top 2% will get a lot of money and everybody else will get something. But we're not, it's not going to be the wild, wild west like this just because the money can't support it. I mean, people don't have bottomless pockets to go out and pay millions of dollars to players who don't pan out. They will not do that over and over again. They just won't. I mean, it's not, it's bad business. So I think it will all calm down, but I do think some transparency on what these deals actually are will help everybody. Cause I just don't frankly believe half of it. And some of the numbers I hear, like you paid that much for that player, you should be fired. Like that's how I hear, <laughs> like I hear some of those numbers, like that should be grounds for dismissal. If that's true. So let's be honest here. Yeah, uh, some transparency certainly would help. That's for sure. Uh, your book, The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History, was published, I guess, just about three years ago. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Big East? Now, you did touch upon it at the tail end. And by the way, any anyone who's a Seton Hall fan, Big East fan, if you haven't read it, you're missing out. It's 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 wonderful to relive the history and uh 
both the glory and some of the not so glorious moments in the transition to football and out of football and back to its basketball roots. Great read. But and at the end, you touch upon it a little bit. It's it's not the same. It's it's not, you know, Roley and John Thompson and Louie and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but what is the Big East? How influential does it remain and can it maintain its status? I mean, look, I think everybody, when everything collapsed and they reformed 10 years ago, wondered if they could actually pull off what they said they could pull off. Because let's be honest, it didn't make sense to think that they could. They had no football money in a world where everybody needed money. Um, how was this going to work? And lo and behold, they have three, nat uh, three national champions um, in the last seven years. That's pretty good. And they could win a fourth um, this year. So frankly, I think the biggies actually having a, an actual concept of what its identity is, is probably its greatest strength. Um, there are a lot of conferences that right now that are just kind of flailing about trying to figure out who they want to be when they grow up. But the biggies knows what they are, where their strengths lie, what their sport is. There's no conflicts here. Um, I think it's, I think they are in really solid footing. Can they expand down the road? Maybe sure, but I think they're smart to be very picky about it and choose teams, not just to choose teams. I know there are a lot of schools that would love to join, but I, I give Val Ackerman credit for being patient and choosy because what you got is pretty good. You don't want to water it down. Obviously, they got to get another TV contract here the next year. That will be huge just to figure out, you know, for stability's sake, where that all lands. But you know, I think it's it's funny to say that the Big East might be the most stable conference in the country, but in some ways it might be because short of losing UConn, nobody else is going anywhere. And if UConn leaves again, they will be the biggest fools in college realignment history, in my opinion. So maybe that doesn't say they won't, but they will be complete and utter fools if they do. I concur. I mean, football in many institutions is the tail that wags the dog, but not at Connecticut. I'm sorry. Nope. It's basketball. So you got to know who you are. And if they leave to chase some football dreams, uh, I think that the list of teams that left the Big East to chase the football dreams uh, yep. is pretty lengthy and it didn't work out not only in football, but in basketball and in their other sports too. So yeah, uh, think long and hard about it, but who at UConn is listening to what I have to say? Quite, <laughs> or me for that matter. Right? Quite frankly. Uh, we're going to let you go on this one. Who's the national champion? Is it UConn? If not UConn, who has the best chance to, to wear the crown? So I have been on the Purdue train since the beginning of the season, which after they lost to Ohio State yesterday is probably a hard argument to make. <laughs> um, but I still think that UConn, or Purdue is if not as good right now as UConn. And again, I'm not sure that they are quote unquote as good, but the best team doesn't always win. Um, I think Purdue still remains dangerous. Zach Eady is what he is. I think, you know, Lance Jones has been an amazing athletic addition to that team that they desperately needed. Braden Smith has played a lot better this year than he did last year. Fletcher lawyer needs to play more consistently if they're going to win it all, but I think he can. And I do think there's something to say for like just the, aggravation, embarrassment, whatever the words you want to use of last year, feeding that frenzy. So I'm thinking maybe a Purdue-UConn national championship if presumably the selection committee sets them up on the opposite side of the bracket. <laughs> Not too, not too dangerous, I know, not too inventive, but that's what I honestly think. Well, they are the behemoths, right, and have been since yep. uh, since the beginning of, of the season. Uh, so, yeah, 
I don't see who else beats them, but that's a beautiful thing. I didn't see St. Peter's going to the Elite Eight. I didn't see Princeton doing what they did last year. So Fair. that's what we love about it. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't see Seton Hall going to the national championship back in the day with PJ. So that's the beauty of uh, March Madness. And uh, who knows? We'll see. That's what we'll be watching the games. Dana, thank you so much for your time. And uh, good luck the rest of the way. Hopefully I'll see you uh, down the road a little bit. And uh, I can thank you in person, but I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your time with us. Anytime. It was great to do it. Appreciate having me. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk presented by JAG Physical Therapy. Thanks to Dana O'Neill for her time. You can read Dana in The Athletic and follow her on X at at Dana O'Neill 1L Writer. That's at Dana O'Neill Writer. The Pirates have been off since the win on Sunday against St. John's, returning to action on Saturday night against Butler at Prudential Center. It is another opportunity for the Hall to help secure its NCAA tournament bid and keep alive its chances for a top three finish in the conference. I'm not giving up on that goal until all hope is exhausted. A shout out to my good friend, Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the show and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. His work on the program is invaluable and very much cherished. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. Until next time, treat each other kindly. Stay safe, be well, and go Pirates. <laughs>